Uh, good morning. Tim and I love this church. We love you guys. We love what God's doing here in the coastlands. And uh, we love how this place was birthed in the spirit and is growing in the spirit and the word. And it's so good to be here with you guys today. I am struggling to get the message together and just asking the Lord to give me dreams. You know, a lot of the mosques that we work with get dreams. God gives them dreams. And I had the wackiest dream last night. You know, and I, I asked, it was, I met some superhero named Sushi and dressed like Nacho Libre, you know, and, and, and I was like, Lord, does this have anything to do with the sermon? And, and Tammy's looking at me like, no, that was probably what you ate last night, but um, it sure is good to be here with you guys today. I'm going to speak on missions. I'm a missionary. I'm going to speak on missions. I'm like a kid in a candy store, so watch out. Fasten your seatbelts. I apologize ahead of time because I am passionate about this subject. Where do you think I'm going to teach from if I'm teaching about missions? Where in the Bible? Matthew 28, 18 and 19. That's right. But before I get there, I'm going to start in the Old Testament. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. And as you do, let me just pray. Father, thank you so much that we get to be in your house today. <laughs> I was glad when he said, let us rejoice in the house of the Lord. Father, thank you that we can come up and be with you in your house today. Thank you, Lord God, that your presence is with us. And I just claim this time, Father, as holy time, and this space as holy space. Father, I pray you will touch my lips and keep me from error. Lord, may you be glorified. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 126, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Wow. Don't you love this motif? Don't you love this picture? How many of you, maybe all of us in some way, Maybe you were gone for a long time. Maybe you're off to college and you, you come home and, and, and you go to sleep in your room and you, you wake up and you're in that place right between asleep and awake and all of a sudden you start to wake up and you look around, you're not sure where you are and then all of a sudden you see familiar things in your room and, and this joy begins to grow inside of you. And then, then you smell those pancakes that only mom can make. And you're like, the joy just increases. And you're just like, I'm, I'm home. I'm in a place where I belong. I'm in a place where things are familiar. I'm in a place where I'm embraced. I'm in a place where mom makes the best food on, on the planet. That's the picture. And that's just a small taste of what these captive Israelites who had been captive in Babylon and had come back most likely with Ezra what they felt like when they came back to Jerusalem. They were home. They were home. 
And this is a macro theme of the Bible. God bringing his lost sheep home. What is missions? Well, missions is joining the mission of God, which is to bring those who have yet to come home, home. To that place where they're embraced, where they can feel the presence of God. That place where they are with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God sent Jesus. For God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in, in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Luke 19.10 gives the mandate of why Jesus came. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's his job to set captives free. Now, the backstory to that verse in Luke 19 is a rather comical story about a very short man named Zacchaeus. And we learned this all in Sunday school, didn't we? Zacchaeus wanted, he heard Jesus was coming to the town, and he wanted to see him, but he was too short, so he climbed a tree. And instead of Jesus just proceeding past him, all of a sudden he stops and calls him by name and said, I'm coming to your house today. And then in verse 9, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. You remember Zacchaeus said, If I have ripped people off, and that was an understatement because he ripped off everybody, I will return to them four times what I stole. And Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus was making a huge statement in saying that he too is a son of Abraham. It's a radical statement. But to understand it, we have to go back even further to Genesis chapter 12, where Abram, not Abraham, is given his call. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram means exalted father of a family, of a greater family. But later, a few chapters later in Genesis 17, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham the father of all peoples or nations, the father of nations. When Abraham responded to the call of God on his life and went, left his family and his home and went, his identity, his name expanded to include the mission of God. And the same thing, brothers and sisters, happens to us. When we enter into the mission of God, he changes our name. He expands our tent pegs He expands our influence. See, it was God's design to use Abraham to bring all families home out of captivity to their true identity in their father to bring them home. Abraham had Isaac, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel became a great nation, right? We all know this. Israel became a great nation. And the the fulfillment began of the promise to Abraham that 
through him there would be a great nation. That's the first part of the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. And we know the story. When Israel followed God, they were blessed. When they didn't, they became cursed. And eventually, it led to their captivity. Anytime we move away from the Lord Jesus Christ, we enter into varying degrees of captivity. And that's the way it is. With the child, that's the way it was with the children of Israel. Now we see the culmination of this foretold to in the book of Hosea. Now, a lot of you here have a prophetic gift. And I think today you should just be thankful that you are not an Old Testament prophet. God had Old Testament prophets do some really weird things. Uh, Hosea, not the least of these. Hosea was called, first of all, to marry a woman named Gomer. That alone... is a hardship. This is my lovely wife, uh, uh, Gomer, as in Gomer Pyle. That dated me right there, didn't it? But she was a prostitute. She was a woman of ill ill repute, and uh, God called Hosea to have children with her. And each one of these children, he told him what to name, and each name was a prophetic pronouncement of God's changing relationship with the people of God. And they're very difficult names. The first nine verses of of, of Hosea are gnarly. I mean, these are names that you won't find in the baby name book. (laughs) Jezreel, God will scatter, was the name of his firstborn son. And he was told, he had a daughter, and he was told to call her Lorumhama, not pitied. And then he had another son, and he was told to call him Loami, not my people. And it culminates in verse 9. Name him Loami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. God was fed up. He was tired of this people who spent all their time in, in harlotry and moving away from him. Their hearts were not with him. And he said, they are no longer my people. But check this out. I wanted to use a sermon illustration, but Tammy told me not to. It's from Nacho Libre, and she said, don't use that. So I'm not going to. But anyway, you remember where he says, I hate all the orphans in the whole world? Anyway. Sorry, Tammy. It's like all of a sudden, God said, I'm done. You are not my people anymore. But in the space of one verse... From verse 9 of the first chapter of Hosea to verse 10, he completely reverses those names. And I think it's because of who he is. He is a reconciler by nature, and he can't stand those names. Yet, in verse 10, he says, The numbers of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, You are not my people, it will be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, Now remember, Loami means not my people. Say to your brothers, Ami, which means my people, and to your sisters, Ruhama, which means pitied. So gathering instead of scattering, pitied instead of not pitied, sons of the living God instead of not my people. 
God wants to reconcile. It's, the na- it's his nature. It's his mission. And it's the macro theme of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It's why he sent Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus inaugurated his ministry in Nazareth? He came to the synagogue and he was given the scroll of Isaiah. So he unrolled the scroll and he read from Isaiah 61. Isaiah. How do you say it in America? Isaiah? We say Isaiah. Sorry. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He, wrote out, out, he read out of Isaiah, sorry guys, 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He rolled up the scroll. He went and he sat down. And I think in a very quiet voice said, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your midst today and they were all upset and wanted to stone him why because he's saying i am the fulfillment of isaiah i am the one who has come to set all things right i am on the mission of god to make a way for captives to be set free peter and paul both in the new testament talk about and quote hosea first of all peter um, talking to a Jewish audience in 1 Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Quoting directly from Hosea. And then, to make it absolutely clear, Paul in Romans 9 says... Even us, whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles, as he says also in Hosea, I will call those who are not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are, are not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. This is what Jesus, <clears throat> this is why Jesus said concerning Zacchaeus, he too is a son of Abraham. Because he has come into the blessing of Abraham. Now, Zacchaeus was most likely a Jew because his name is Jewish. But being a tax collector, he was considered an anathema outside the people of God. He was considered a Gentile. So Jesus' statement is huge. He's saying, look it, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Later on, Paul says in Galatians 3, 7, Therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So all of us, Gentiles, Jews, tribes of every tongue, people from every nation, all of us are able to come into the blessing of Abraham when we accept in faith Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So Jesus is saying Zacchaeus has become an inheritor of Abraham's blessing of all families in earth being blessed by his action to leave his home and to go. And we see this, it's like an incredible hourglass. You have God in beautiful communion and relationship with his people and with creation in the garden. And, And then Adam and Eve choose to sin and choose to walk away from God. And they become captive immediately. Immediately, God sets into plan. 
a way of salvation. Do you remember in Genesis 3, he says, speaking to the enemy, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and yours. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Who is he talking about? Who is the offspring of the woman? Jesus Christ. He was, he was proclaiming the coming of Jesus Christ, the dying of Jesus Christ on the cross, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by that death, burial, and resurrection, the, all of history is hinged. Everything changed at the cross. Everything changed at the cross. So in the beginning, God has this relationship with all people but then he narrows his covenant down to Abraham. He covenants with Abraham. And then Abraham, from Abraham to the children of Abraham, who are Israel, the natural-born children of Abraham. And then the children of Israel down to the tribe of Judah. And from the tribe of Judah down to the house of David. And from the house of David, who came? Who was the son of David? Jesus Christ was the son of David. And then the cross. And then, bam! Everything opens up. Everything changes. Because at that point, Jesus completely paid the price to reconcile man to God. He completely paid the price so that people who are caught in captivity can be made free. And then it says in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power. He's speaking to us now, the disciples, post the cross. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. An hourglass. And it just explodes. All of us can enter into the blessing of Abraham. Now we get to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And we missionaries like to point out that it's the last command of Jesus that's recorded in the Bible. And uh, the last command being a very important one indeed. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. We have been given a commission. It's been called the Great Commission. When I signed up for missions, I heard about the Great Commission and I thought it was like I was going to get a commission. No. No, that's not what it is. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Nations there, I think as you guys know... Uh, not necessarily a political nation. In the Greek, it's ethnos, which means uh, we get our, our term ethnic. Uh, it can be an ethnic group. It can be, we, 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 in missions, we like to call it a people group. What is a people group? It's the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So all of us, you know, right here I'm speaking language. I'm not speaking Maasai. You know, I can see all your eyes just glazing over right now. You guys are a people group, and there's actually sub-people groups here as well. But it's, 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 it's the groups that, that can receive the gospel, and the gospel can grow um, without barriers to communication. 
the Great Commission, go into all the world. We, we speak about going a lot. But if you really look at this verse, uh, first of all, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore. And I think this is an important point, and I think it's the point that I want to really leave with you guys here today, is that the authority of the living God is ours when we join him in his mission. When we choose to go, the authority of the living God belongs to us. It's amazing. Good things happen when we answer the call and go. What do we mean by call? Is it just leaving your home and going to a foreign country? No. It's responding to God's leading in your life to go someplace and give your uniqueness to God's purpose. To give your uniqueness to God's purpose. Each one of us has a bent. Each one of us has a way that God made us. And he wants you to use that uniqueness for his kingdom advance. But some of us are called to go to what we call the unreached. See, there's people groups where, whereby there's not enough Christians in those groups for them to evangelize themselves and for the church to grow. And so just like the laws of physics, the gospel is not going to grow until someone who is sent goes into that people group and brings the gospel of Jesus Christ until there is a witness in that people group and they can reach themselves. It's just, it's just like the law of physics. Good things happen when we answer the call and go. All of us, not all of us are called to foreign missions, but all of us are called to step into the adventure of going and joining God in his mission for the world. It reminds me of like that scene in Narnia or what was the voyage of the Don Treader where they have this picture of a, of a ship, you know, in, in, on the open seas and all of a sudden they step into the picture and they're there. It's like we get to step into the mission of God. We get to find out why we were made and we get to find out what purpose God has for us to be here on this earth. In, in Corinthians, Paul said, if we live only for this life, we are of all men to be pitied. And it's true. We are called on the mission of God to share with people that they too can come into the blessing of Abraham and be reconciled to God. I wanted to share a story. I felt the Lord calling me uh, to share stories today. So I'm going to share a couple stories um, first of all, I'm going to share about two heroes in my life. They actually happen to be my grandparents, uh, Fred and Daisy Russell. And Fred and Daisy Russell um, lived and grew up in eastern Washington, farmers, very simple people. My grandfather, Fred, was probably the most... Um, he, he was a wallflower, to be perfectly honest. He was, if, he, if you walked in the room, he was not the person you would strike up a conversation with. He was an accountant and he was an ag teacher. There was nothing about him that was flamboyant or charismatic whatsoever. But he and Daisy, all five feet nothing, um, felt God calling them to the mission field. 
And so they felt that they needed to be obedient to the call, and so they signed up. They didn't care where they were going. They thought they were going to India, but the mission board said, no, we want you to go to Ethiopia. Grandma Daisy kept it a secret that she was pregnant because she felt like like, um, they would keep her from going if they found out she was pregnant. So she gave birth to her daughter in, uh, in Alexander, Egypt. And then with a baby in tow, they went up the Nile on a steamer, and they came to the confluence of the Baro River, and they went up the Baro River on another boat to a place called Gambela. In Gambela, they organized a caravan of uh, mules, and they went from there up into the highlands of Ethiopia in 1921. When, we're, when we're, they were there, uh, Grandpa Fred began a Bible study, and uh, there was a blind beggar that he had seen around the town, and just to give you a little bit of the context, beggars in Ethiopia, I remember because I grew up there, were just an anathema. They considered that if you were blind, God had cursed you. So you were, you were held at arm's length. And the only sustenance a beggar could get was, I mean, a blind person could get would be by begging. So they'd have a little kid uh, pull him around by a stick all over town and beg. And so this blind beggar was going around town and begging and Grandpa Fred invited him to his Bible study. So the day of the Bible study, Grandpa came, and there at the gate was this blind beggar sitting down on the ground. And Grandpa said, come on in, come on in. So he came up to the porch, and he sat down on the porch. And Grandpa said, no, 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 come on inside. So he came inside and sat on the floor, because that's what beggars do. He knew his position. He knew the drill. So he sat on the floor. And Grandpa physically picked him up, and put him in a chair and said, you are my guest. And if I have invited you, you will sit here in this chair of honor. That blind beggar, 45 years later or so, wrote an autobiography. And in it, he said, at that moment, when this man lifted me up and put me in his chair, I wondered about the God that had sent him from around the world. And I determined that I wanted to know this God. This man became Case Gidada, who was the first evangelist and the first pastor in the Makene Yesu's church, which today numbers 4.6 million people. And his name was changed. No longer was he that blind anathema beggar. He became Case Gidada. And Case Gadada means, Case means pastor, Pastor Gadada. And Pastor Gadada, his name is known all over Western Ethiopia. And there's a Bible school, the Case Gadada Bible School. But even the whole nation knows the name Gadada because his son, Nagaso, became president of Ethiopia. Good things happen when you go. You see, because we're not going alone, we're going in authority of Jesus Christ and the presence of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission is this sandwich. In the middle is the go. But on this side, you have authority. On this side, you have presence. All authority has been given to me. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. And that's why we can go. And that's why we can see fruit. Not by our ability, but by our availability. A few years ago, I went up to Sunnyside, Washington, to look up Grandma and Grandpa's grave And uh, on their tombstones, it says, obedient to the call. Grandpa went on to become an advisor to the the emperor, Haile Selassie. 
I could tell you stories that would just amaze you how they were entertained in the palace of the king. Simple wallflower, Fred, accountant and ag teacher, and Daisy. But there was a cost. One time they rolled down, their Jeep rolled down a hill, and Grandma woke up, and her leg was sitting out at at a right angle, and she knew that her hip was broken. But they were four years away from being able to get medical help. I didn't say four minutes. I didn't say four hours. I said four years. So she just learned to live with a leg that was two inches shorter than the other. As long as I knew her, she had these special shoes that were built up because it was worth it. You remember this, what we read in Psalm 126, that, that they sowed in tears, but they reaped with joy. When you step into your call of who you are, see, each one of us has this unique way that God made us, and the call in our life has to do with that unique way that he made us. It fits like a glove, but there still is a cost. He still calls us to come and lay down our lives. And then that picture of weeping while you're sowing, and, and some people have said, and I think it's true, that... You know, the picture is that you're taking your children's food in a harvest that hasn't been that good, and you're taking it away from the children in faith, sowing for next year's, next season's crop. See, some of you guys are are called, I, I have a real sense that there's some people here in the first service and this service who are called to foreign missions. But, but you've tried and you've hit up against things and you've bumped up against other things and, and there's tears in your life because you're like, how does this work? What about my children? What about this? What about that? I challenge you. When you give your life to the, to missions, what, to the mission of God, and I, I want to be careful here. When you give your life to the mission of God, I guarantee that you can't outgive God. The Bible says no one has left fathers and mothers that they won't be given here in this life and the life to come even more. I have fathers and mothers that are Maasai. I have an old mom. She chews tobacco. Poo. And she loves me. And I love her. I have brothers and sisters. James Kukon is like a brother to me. You know... I discipled him, and, and, and when I discipled him, then he grew in the Lord. And, and, and it's like, we, for many years, we were like this, co, co-laboring together. And now he is my senior, and, and I'm serving his vision, which is the way it's supposed to be. See, those people, the Maasai, and I'm not talking about Maasai as a whole. There's so many Maasai who need to come into the fold of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the area where we're working There is a people who have become the people of God. They were once alienated to God, but now they are the people of God. And we, guys, I love your worship here. I mean, that's awesome. I don't know how you do the boom, boom. I mean, that's just awesome. But I'm kind of partial to worshiping with the Maasai, and we jump when we worship. They literally jump. We had this guest room where when we lived out in the section of Maasai land it was built on a water tank and the guest room was on top and they would come for all night prayer meetings and they would jump and all land at the same time and I said oh Lord please help them not get all baptized at the same time with that roof breaking them all going down inside but you know fear seeks to grip us we sow 
We sow seeds in a place of fear where, we, where we're, we're afraid. You know, fear is the tool of the enemy. He uses fear in our lives and intimidation all the time. And I have been in fetal positions in airports, so overcome by fear. But every time I've given in to fear, a part of me has died. But when I've stepped into my call and gone, part of me has come alive because it's who I'm made to be. And it's who you're made to be. Not, not everyone here is called to foreign missions, but all of us are called to go in some way, into the world. All of us are called to be involved in the mission of God of bringing those who are captive into the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Good things happen when we go in the authority and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 26 years ago, Tammy and I were called to go to the mission field. Some of you guys know our story, some of you don't. But I, I just want to testify this morning because I want to build your faith. 26 years ago, we felt the Lord calling us to go into the mission field. Fear, doubt, wondering. I was asked by Westmont College to lead a, a team to Kenya because my parents were ministering in Kenya at the time. And during that trip... There, were, uh, there was an attack. There was some vi- a violent robbery and all this stuff that happened. It was really bad and scary. And um, when we came back the next year, Westmont asked me to lead a second trip to Kenya. Uh, and so when Willie Matos and I were sitting down and interviewing everybody, um, I got completely and totally humbled. Because you see, going back to Africa for me was just like going home. But these guys, they'd heard about all the violence. They'd heard about all the things that had gone on that were terrible. And they were just like, sign me up. And I'm like, you guys, you're crazy. And the Lord used that in my life to realize that I would, had chosen comfort. I was just going back to comfortable Africa for me. Africa for me is comfortable. I can't figure out the U.S. The U.S. scares me. I almost got in a tornado in D- Dayton, Ohio. We missed it by 15 minutes. I'm just like, get me back to Africa. But in this place, I lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Oh, yeah, the second group. So as we were interviewing, as we were interviewing these guys, I was completely humbled because I knew that I was not in that same place of surrender. I wasn't. So I immediately, the next day, I resigned. And I said, I can't do this. And where do you think the Lord called me? He called me to inner city Hollywood, California. <laughs> place I would have never chosen. But you know what? The same God I had seen in Africa, I met in Hollywood. <laughs> Did you know what? That I, I, I saw that this authority of God, I mean, I saw 30 people turn and run at the name of Jesus, who were intent on killing one of the boys who was with me. And they turned and they ran in Jesus' name. I was like, yeah. And, and this is what happens, brothers and sisters. When you step into the call of who God is, when you join him in his mission, you get his credit card. You get to charge things on his credit card. You get to say, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. And you get to see fun stuff happen. It was in that time in Hollywood that the Lord restored to me 
my call to Africa. But I think, and I think it's an important point, that God tests our lordship. In, he tests to make sure he is lord of our life before he can release us into who we are. Remember I said your call fits you like a glove. It fits who you are. But there will be times in your life that I can guarantee that God will give you uh, a, a test. He will, he will allow you to be tested to see if you will put him first above everything else. Guys, I hate cities. And he took me right to the inner city because then I found out that his kingdom was there just like it was out in the open spaces of Africa. He will test you. He will allow you to be tested in the place to make sure that you put him first. And once he realizes that you will follow him anywhere, he'll say, here you go. Here's the keys to the car. I, I trust you now. Now, step into who I made you to be. Step into the giftedness of who I've called you to be. I love teaching on giftedness, but it always is preceded by lordship. A lot of times we talk about get to know your giftedness, and it's all great. But guys, you've got to die first so that it gets resurrected in the spirit. So we went to Africa eventually. It was in that time in Hollywood that God released again the call back to Africa and I met Tammy. Tammy had gotten a call to go into missions before I met her, so she can never say I drug her to the mission field. She went to a, a mission conference called Urbana, and the Lord spoke to her there. Um, we went to Africa. We went to work with the Maasai people. We learned their language and their culture, and we began ministering there. And it was like... I was like, okay, so good things happen when you go, and you go in authority of Jesus Christ, but it's like, you know, it wasn't happening. You know, it it just was not happening. We weren't seeing fruit. We weren't seeing transformation. And, And I remember we came to this place where we got completely broken, and Tammy got typhoid, and then I got, or she got hepatitis, and I got hepatitis. The funny thing about hepatitis is, well, this is not really, well, anyway, hepatitis is not funny. But I, I, I like to catch animals. And I had this chameleon, a pet chameleon, and it was yellow. And the Maasai believe that chameleons are poisonous. They're not. You know, you can have them, I have them bite me all the time. They don't have any teeth. They just have these ridges, you know. And so I had this yellow chameleon. They're like, no, no, no. It's like, be careful. They're poisonous. And, and, I, and I said, no, they're not. I said, look at this. And I let them bite me. And, oh, no, 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 no. Don't let them do that. And uh, wouldn't you know it, the next day I got hepatitis and turned yellow. <laughs> Just like that chameleon. And they're like, see? See? I told you. I was, I was highly humbled. But <clears throat> in, that place, in that place of um, sickness, and we had to leave our, our ministry area. Um, and I know you guys have been there when you pray, and it's just like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. And it's like my faith was on the floor. It was just like non-existent anymore. And we weren't seeing the transformation. And I remember coming back to our house that we'd built out in the bush. And I knew I had to do something in faith. So I got all the energy I could muster together. And I climbed up uh, this little hill behind our house. And I built an altar. And I picked up these rocks with what little strength I had. And I built an altar. And I put my family on the altar because I was overwhelmed with my lack of being able to protect my children and my wife. And I put myself on the altar. And then finally, I put my ministry on the altar. 
And as I did that, it was almost as if you could hear this great sigh in heaven. And it wasn't like a magic button, but things began to change as we began to do less and pray more. And we had a godly woman. I don't know why I get so emotional. We had a godly woman come, and she asked me not to mention her name, but she's here today. She was teaching our kids, and then Tam and I would be in the evening in the house, and she was out in the guest house, and she would just pray. And she prayed a lot. And some of you guys, you know, this whole thing I'm talking about, call... Many of us are called to just pray, and I believe international missionaries, we're just on-site prayers, <laughs> waiting to see what God will do as we humble ourselves before Him. And she just prayed and prayed. And one day she came in and said, you know, I, I, Peter, do you know anybody by the name of Olonyuke? I, the Lord gave me the name Olonyuke. Now, if she said, Peter, do you know anybody by the name of Bob or Betty, you know, but Olonyuke? I was just like, that's got to be the Lord, because I did have one of my disciples' name was Olanuke. And um, she said, I, I believe God's going to use him in a powerful way in healing. And a few months later, oh, sure enough, Olanuke and Tom Panyan were in a village. And uh, um, across the, the cattle corral, they heard the death wail. And uh, they came running to see what was going on. And this lady's baby had died, and she had thrown the baby on the bed um, it, it had malaria, and the beds are these like um, uh, cow skin beds, and threw the baby down on the bed because they don't touch people who are dead. And um, we don't know for sure if the baby was completely dead or it was in a coma, but to the Maasai, it was dead and gone. And the baby, she threw it down there, and there's just all panama. Everyone is just out of control, yelling. And she... Um, Olenuke came and just said quietly, can, can I pray for the baby in, in Jesus' name? And finally she just screamed, shut up! She said, let these church people, let them try. So Olenuke sat down and picked that baby up, which is contrary to the cultural norm, and, and held that baby in his lap and said, in the name of Jesus, live. And the baby woke up like that. And this season of signs and wonders came. And I was praising the Lord because I was praying for people and they're getting sicker. And I was just like, God, thank you so much that you showed up. And he didn't show up through us. He showed up through the Mas- our Maasai disciples. But isn't that cool? It's like it's not these foreigners who come from overseas, but it's the kingdom of God is amongst them. They, who were not a people, had become the people of God, and they had been enfolded into the blessing of Abraham. They had come home, and so they could say, Father, Abba, Daddy, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they began to see stuff happen, and the church grew And people who were demonized started getting set free. You know, it's really interesting. In Africa, um, our worship service get kind of lively. And usually the demons always manifest during worship. Somebody will fall down and, and, and we minister deliverance to them. Because we can. Because we have the authority of Jesus Christ. Guys, you get it? 
All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. God is not asking us to go on our own. And I think a lot of the times, the fear that keeps us from stepping into going and into wherever the Lord has called us to go is that we're afraid this will happen. We're afraid this won't happen. For us, people told us we're destroying our children's education. And children are usually the reason why people don't go to the mission field or why they come off the mission field. But we sensed a call, and we felt a call as a family. We all got together. The whole family said, we're, we're called to go back because we'd been there, and we had to come back here for some medical stuff. And then the whole family said, no, we're, we're called to go back. And we were told, you're going to ruin your children's education. And this is not, not, not to boast in any way, but next weekend, we're going to our son Chase's graduation at Stanford. Yeah. If we had tried to figure it out, we would still be here. We wouldn't have gone. You see, guys, we can't always see around the band. Tam and I went, did whitewater rafting on the Zambezi, and we went through this rapid that you just cannot believe. You can't believe you survived it. And then we get in this big, like, cool, like, mellow place, and you're just like, oh, praise God, that's over. And there's, but there's this band, and all you can hear is this big... And we're like, well, what's that? Oh, that's the next rapid. Oh, really? Yeah, it's called the washing machine. Oh, great. See, you cannot see around the corner, brothers and sisters. You can't. We can't see around the corner. We can't have everything figured out. We can't. The Bible does say that we are to prepare. The Bible does say we are to think about the future. Amen. But most of all, he says, trust and obey. Trust and obey. We can't see. We couldn't see our children's education, but we knew we were... What, what would become of our children's education, but we knew that we had to go. We knew that we had to go. Good things happen when you go in the authority and the presence of Jesus. And as we learned, good things happen as you go in the authority of the presence of Jesus, broken and weak. Because when we are weak, he is strong. He's not asking for your ability. He He'll use your ability. But what's much more important is your availability. And we have 120 excuses why we can't. Like I said, not all of us are called to go to the foreign mission field. But all of us are called to step into the adventure of being a part of the mission of God. Every single one of us. We need to get out of the living room and jump into the painting and be a part of the mission of God. And when you step into that place of who God made you to be, you will see an alignment happen and you will be able to operate in the authority of who God is. I love adventure. I absolutely love adventure. It's who God made me to be. That's part of the glove. My calling is adventure. That's why we're called Wild Wild Hope. I'm the wild and Tammy's the hope. <laughs> I love motorcycles. I love riding on motorcycles. I've had to, I had a crash uh, last year, so I've had to mellow out a little bit. But I love riding motorcycles in a herd of 25 giraffe. And you just got these giraffe just going like this, just like, oh. It's like Jurassic Park, you know? <laughs> And I'm on a motorcycle, you know? It's like, it can't get better than this, you know? Remember Tyler Morgan, when you guys came out, we, 
we did motorcycles out to Nkewa. And, and Tyler got to preach, and I think six people gave their life to the Lord. And then we rode motorcycles back, and Tyler was like, salvations and motorcycles, man. This does not get better than this. <laughs> but it's like riding that motorcycle with all these giraffes on each side of whitewater rafting on the Zambezi. Brothers and sisters, nothing, nothing compares to the adventure of following Jesus and his mission. Nothing. And we can stay in that place of comfort and, and, and parts of us die. Or we can step into that venture where we don't know all the answers. Where we can just hear the rumble around the corner. And we can say, Lord, by your strength, I will go. Because I know that you have the credit card. You have all the authority. And you are with me. And you will never leave me. And you will never forsake me. This church and this church movement, I believe, has an anointing uh, to keep the word and spirit together in a beautiful way. This church, I believe, also has anointing to send people to the nations. What God is doing here in the coastlands, God wants to take to the nations. Not all of you are called to go. Many of you are called to pray, which is super, super important. Some of you are called to send, which is super, super important. But all of us, brothers and sisters, we must step into the going part of our faith and go to where God is calling us to reach those who are captive and be a part of his mission of seeing captives set free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you, Father, that you not only have called us to go, but that you have said that you will be with us always. Father, it's just like having a whole army behind you that all of a sudden you become brave because you have this great force behind you, Lord, but it's not a force, it's a personality, it's you. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you're with us. Father, I pray for people here today who are afraid to step into who you've called them to be. I pray, Father, that they would realize that fear is a bluff of the enemy and that they would be able to see it for what it is and say no to it and step, Father, into faith. Lord God, that even though we don't know what's coming around the corner, you do. And that you will take care of us. And you will see us reach our full potential as we continue to say yes and amen to what you're calling us to do. Father, thank you. Bless this church. Thank you for our relationship together, Father. We love being connected to these people. In Jesus' holy name, amen.